Hey, hey, Podnutians. Welcome to Linux for the Rest of Us, episode 252. This is a podcast all about free Libra open source software. Basically, this is a Linux podcast that we like to say is for the newbie and the veteran alike. This podcast is brought to you by Andrew A. Uh, Andrew A was a Patreon supporter for Podnuts for the month of October in 2018. And even if you only support us for one month, we Podnuts will support you for the rest of our existence. So I want to say thank you to Andrew A. And if you too would like to partake in this thing we call Patreon, all you have to do is go to uh, patreon.com slash Podnuts. That's where you can support links for the rest us and speaking about support uh we have uh, a great support technician with us today by the name of bruce patterson H- how's everything going bruce sure i'm doing pretty good how about yourself i've had a weird couple weeks is the way the way i'll put it um i've been at my place of employment for now 23 years just about and last week i was onboarded onto a new system a new product a new process uh with like my boss literally almost half my age which is a little weird but he's an incredibly nice guy so it makes it much easier to for me to digest is the way i'll put it it's funny you say that because for me you know we're we're both roughly in the same age category and it's pretty common now for our bosses to be a little bit younger than we are you know and it's funny because uh, I think we handle our situations a little bit better as well. I mean, one of the things that I approach it from is that uh, I'm willing to work with these folks if they know what they're talking about and if they're willing to to bear the brunt of the the pedantic you know meetings that that happen all the time. If they're willing to answer these kind of questions and stuff, I'm all on board with that. You know, and in this particular case, my current boss absolutely is. Yeah, I mean, my boss. I had two other people who were on this project for months say to me, "They expect you to ask a million questions," and I said, "Well, I'm very sorry to inform them, I'm not. I'm going to try to figure everything out I can on my own, and also." communicate with other permanent employees as a team, because I'm also here to support my actual permanent employees along with myself. So let's see if we can figure this out together as a team and then present it to this contractor boss in air quotes um, and see if we can figure out things without having to involve him. Because the first thing he says every meeting is I'm in meetings all day. Well, then I'm not sure you have time to answer all my questions. Now, what you just said there is actually something the Harvard Business Review backs up. Uh, the one where you get your team involved and work in towards it together. Because the thing is, is that what makes a team even more solid is if everybody feels they have a stake in it. And what you just said is what exemplifies that. And it's funny because when um, I was a manager for, for a year, um, one of the things that uh, I did was I actually uh, went and found a copy of the business review. And I thought it was, you know, for CEOs and stuff like that. But they actually had a manager's corner and it talked about best practices. And I have to tell you, that was some of the best management advice I had ever gotten. Uh, it was a lot more in tune with the workforce than uh, I knew. Who knew the business review knew what they're talking about? Yeah, I will say I am a fan of um, 
I know now two people who went through Harvard Law School, Harvard Business School kind of thing, um, and they tell me great tips like if you're going to hire somebody, hire somebody who could take your job. Hire somebody better than you, um, which I think is fantastic advice. Um, and I will put it like this. Um, I firmly believe, you know, the goal of any job should be let's try not to kill each other. Let's try not to be like utterly disdain towards e each other. It isn't a question of getting along. This isn't a playhouse. This isn't a clubhouse. This is work. Let's shoot toward goal oriented work measures. Uh, and if we can learn stuff along the way, dare I say, like fat Albert, if you can learn something along the way, well, then it's just a little bit better. Well, and also another thing that doesn't hurt is that at the end of a successful project that you actually legit and with some earnestness, say thank you to the folks who helped succeed with this because, you know, people, they don't need to hear it every day. That's just ridiculous. But, you know, when they've genuinely worked hard towards a goal and they successfully did it, um, acknowledgement goes a long way as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I will say, I feel like the same kind of thing is true in open source software where everyone I know has, who has participated in contribution, you know, it isn't about the money cause there's no money. It's about being part of a community and literally helping each other solve vicious goals. Yes. Some of it is the individual person wants to showboat and look good and look how smart I am. But at the same token, it's for a greater good, which is the real reason why I think I was initially drawn towards free Libra open source environments. Now, it's funny because as much as I'd like to segue into the uh, Shuttleworth article, I'm going to hold off on that first because we also have viewer mail. And mail always should get the priority. I will say the number one priority will be anybody who sends us a message on Patreon because just like politicians, we can be bought too. Um, but we do have, uh, I want to say it's two emails and I believe they're both from the same person. Right. Alphonse actually uh, had uh, some interesting ones that actually segue into uh, one of our discussions for a little bit later on as well. Uh, so I'll, I'll read the, I'll read them both. Um Hey, door-to-door -door geek uh, and Bruce, how are things going? Um, I came here to ask your opinion on an article of the security expert, one of the guys who created Hunix OS. Uh, do you think that Linux is really a mess of insecurity like he says? There seems to be a pattern on new security people out there, uh, Mac better than Linux or just regard Linux as insecure. What are your thoughts? Uh, before we get into that, before we jump into that with both feet, let me read the second one as well. So the second one is, uh, while catching up on Linux for the rest of us in our last episode, 250, you mentioned that there were some distros like her, using Herd like Mint, but you probably already knew that. Um, they're also working on GNU Linux distro f using the Herd kernel. Uh, that is not pre-pre-beta. It's called GNU GUIX. Um, he left a link. GUIX dot gnu dot org so uh at some point if he if we just choose to do a a uh, review on that he'd be excited well i'll first admit no i didn't know i had no idea they were doing this did you oh no not at all so i will have to educate myself and go through it and it is the kind of thing that i honestly wouldn't mind let's just say like live streaming some of my experiences with it um and of course they're creating their own package management system, which I really 
really, really. I don't think we look. I understand everybody believes that they're right and the other person's wrong and I know what I'm doing and they're doing this wrong. They're doing that wrong. But I personally really am shocked if anybody in 2020 believes we really do need another package management system. Um, after Ike created his um, package management systems, I thought that was it. And he figured most of this stuff out, but apparently no other people disagree. Well, it's funny because the package managers I use are as old as most of these distros combined. Uh, I still use Synaptic on Debian. It, I never have a problem with it. I was going to say it. It works. It absolutely works. And uh, uh, let's see, for uh, MX Linux, you know, their package management system is, is pretty good. I believe that also is uh, based on... Uh, Debian's uh, Synaptic as well. So, I mean, you can't go wrong if that's what you're building on top of. Yeah, so I will definitely have to check this out. Um, probably not going to install it in a native operating system on, on like, hardware. Uh, I will probably put it in a VM. I will admit that. Yeah. Uh, for me, um, I might take the easy way out and check the last time that uh, – DistroWatch had actually done such a review, if they've even reviewed it at all. Well, see, I'm going to put money on it right now. DistroWatch has it. And that, and the only reason I say that is because DistroWatch is my gateway to new distributions. And I never heard of it. So, And I subscribe to everything DistroWatch, so I don't believe it is. That's, I'm sticking with that. Okay, now, the security. Is Linux secure? No. Is Windows secure? Nope. Is Mac secure? Mm, no. Is iOS secure? Mm, no. Is Android secure? Mm, nope. Is Debold voting machines secure? Mm, no. Is Unix secure? Mm, no. Is BlackBerry OS secure? Mm, no. No. What is secure is something completely disconnected from any network and isolated and has their USB ports filled with super glue. Um, and you have to pass by people with guns, pass by key entry, pass by um, biosensors and everything else. And then you're approaching secure. Um, I'll start with that as being my default stance is nothing is secure. Well, and I'll match that with uh, uh, it's, it's like uh, governments. Theoretically, every government has its has its pros and cons. Once you add the human element to it, well, now it all becomes a lot of cons. And I really think that your your OS is as strong as your administrative skills. And you know, it goes back to the uh, Stephen J. Uh, Von Nichols article that we had touched upon on on our last show. In fact, um, because. Basically, he wanted to stop all this foolishness about how insecure Linux is. Um, I think really the, the bottom line is simply this. You know, it's you do what you can as a regular user to keep your stuff uh, safe. Update it, strong passwords, you know the drill. Um, as far as, uh, you know, in a corporate or enterprise environment, you know, you've got a team of admins running there. And... Even the most uh, basic of admins can keep their their environment relatively safe. But it's like anything else. You know, if you have a team of hackers dedicated to cracking your organization, they're going to do it. They will absolutely do it. The question is, is how quick is each platform to repair it? That's 
the real test of a good OS. Yeah, I have to agree. That maybe is the most important one. And I'm going to quote Winston Churchill, which the link will be in the notes. Uh, the worst form of government. Okay. And it says many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe. No one pretends that democracy is perfect or all wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government except all those other forms that have been tried from time to time. And that tells you how secure Linux is. Is it secure? No. But I can tell you this right now, it is among the safest operating systems to run, period. Now let's stop right there because what Bruce just said, the speed of updates, the speed of fixes that come to Linux is nearly breakneck speeds. Okay, number one, which means number two, when we do have flaws in the Linux ecosystem, servers, desktops, everything else, 90% of the time, it's not the operating system itself. Instead, it's a PHP vulnerability or a WordPress vulnerability or an Apache struts vulnerability. It's not a Linux thing. Now, with that said, even those, those vulnerabilities exist, 99% of the time when they're actively exploited, it's because a system administrator is not doing his due diligence and performing updates and upgrades in a timely manner. Okay, now you can take everything I just said and apply the very same thing to Windows operating systems. A lot of exploits happen because it isn't the kernel of the OS, but it might be, let's say, uh, Samba protocol, or it might be something like that. And yes, maybe if the administrator applied updates sooner, it would be better. But for instance, last month, there was a critical patch issued to Microsoft server operating systems that Microsoft was informed about over 12 months ago. I want to say it was 14 months ago. And they just got around in air quotes to patching it because they didn't feel it was actually necessary. So is Linux secure? No. But is it more secure than basically everything else on the planet? It can be with proper administration. Absolutely. Although, you know, it's funny. The uh, last uh, vulnerability was uh, <laughs> the butthole, uh, boot hole uh, vulnerability. Boot hole. Yeah. yeah, they need to... Uh, I think they need to come up with a little bit better names. Although that was what they were—that was a discussion a long time ago on um, on one of the uh, security podcasts. You know, that's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of the Linux stuff doesn't get big get big uh, plays because the naming of it isn't sexy enough for magazines or news uh, articles to pick up. So this was—I uh, think Heartbleed was actually probably the first successful naming of one of these vulnerabilities. Yeah, I will agree. Um, it's one of those manipulative strategy kind of things. Um, calling your browser conquer with a K basically ensures you're not going to get mass appeal because when everyone hears the word conquer, they spell it with a C. And then when they try to find it, they can't find it because, you know, it's bad SEO is the way I put it. Well, and again, it's not it's not kitschy either if if by spelling something that's traditionally spelled with a C with a K, well, it's got other implications. We'll leave it at that. Thank you. I didn't want to say it. Now, quick distraction, quick side tangent. I normally use mumble murmur hosting from a place called Voice Command Center. Unbelievably cheap. Their uptime is fantastic. 
Um, but I noticed yesterday that my mumble server was not up and it's what we use for mini PC show and Linux for the rest of us and the makers when we do it to record our audio and communicate back and forth while the server was down. Um, I then said to self, self, well, I'm going to stand up my own server. I got laptops. I got desktops. I have all kinds of different computers in my world, but I said, self, what is the simplest, easiest, quickest, hassle-free way I can stand up a mumble server or excuse me, a murmur server in my environment. So me and Bruce can do a show and hopefully Jonathan, but he wasn't too busy. Um, and I settled on diet pie, which is a, uh, very functional, flexible operating system with a great N curses interface of uh, sorry to the newbie, but it's basically like an old mainframe style interface where I can literally burn the SD card, put it in my raspberry Pi, boot it up. And within three minutes, I had a mumble server up and running uh, with very little issue. Uh, and then when I'm done with doing that, I can literally power down the raspberry Pi pull the SD card out, put my other SD card in, and then I can once again play Super Mario Brothers 64. So when you're looking for a solution like Occam's Razor kind of thing, always shoot for the simplest one that meets all your needs currently. Uh, and don't think about, will I need this forever kind of thing? Wow, for what it's worth, a couple of things I will note is that this is the clearest your, uh, your camera has come into me for a little while. And uh, actually, everything is crisp today. So I don't know if it's just, I don't know, maybe psychosomatic, if you want to call it that, or what. But uh, uh, we have a no lag, anything. It's actually coming really nice. Well, number one, this is a Sunday. We typically do it on a Saturday. This is a Sunday, so both the kids are already in bed. So they're not, you know, playing Oculus VR and digesting gigs worth of YouTube uh, my wife was also tired, so she's already in bed. But also, I firmly believe I know nothing about networking, but I do believe this. If you don't do anything on a network and then just do one thing, it's not really enough. If you keep your network moving and shaking by transmitting loads of data on it, I believe everything seems to run at least a little bit smoother. Well, and also I'm sure half of the nation's, nation is watching uh, Seattle, who is now in the red zone. Uh, well, no, not anymore. Anyway, it's, uh, 1714 New England. So we'll see what happens there. One thing I will say about NFL football is I am shocked at the amount of attention that the NFL gets in, um, British Columbia news. I mean, they are all over it. They love Seattle. Oh, well, the, I think it's part of, because, uh, what is it? The Kraken are coming to town. So I know it's not NFL, but uh, we can get excited about yet another Seattle team. <laughs> yeah, and I will encourage everyone, if you literally just want to play around with a single board computer, uh, it is really extremely difficult to get more simplistic, yet more functional than running Diet Pie. And it is D-I-E-T-P-I. Uh, uh, they support. Uh, everything from Raspberry Pis, Asus boards, Nano Pies, Odroid, Pine 64s, Rock Pies, Firefly, even virtual machines if you want to play with in a virtual machine. And few operating systems make setting up a solution as easy as this. 
it might not be something you want to put into production. That's your own call, but it's great for development and testing. Now, along those lines, uh, I've got my own Raspberry Pi project. Um, I was looking for uh, an OS that would actually be uh, like a jukebox. And um, ultimately, I settled for OSMC. And so I have that installed and ready to go. The problem is, is that, as I'd mentioned to Dor before we went live, eh, the power pack is sitting at work. So now I've got to order another one. So that'll take a couple of days. But when it's up and running, we'll get a full report on that as well because I've been looking for a place to uh, put my music for a while. And once it's on the Pi, then I can play it anywhere, whether it's at work, at home, someone else's house. I'm looking forward to it. Okay, I will say, looking at um, Diet Pi, they for single-click solutions, it looks like they do have O Explanation Point MPD, which is a feature-rich web interface to uh, play your music collection. Um, I'm not sure they have that exact solution you're talking about, but you know, if you just want to play, that's the best thing about these single board computers is on desktops and laptops and servers, you have to literally nuke and pave entire operating systems to get real experiences. Where with the Pi, you literally just buy another SD card, shut it down, pull the SD card out, put a different SD card in, and you can experience whatever you want. And then when you want to go back to your original one, you just put the old SD card back in. Yeah, and also at this point, one of the reasons why I wanted to go with this solution is because my collection is easily larger than what Spotify has to offer or any of the other music services because it's also all the music I want. So uh, there's that as well. Yeah, I will say I downloaded all 29 days worth of my audio and I uploaded it to my Plex server because Google Play Music is going away and it's being overwritten by Google uh, YouTube Music which I don't really understand why, but hey, I don't have a PhD, so I don't know why. Um, But I will say, I know I'm at that age. I know what I like. I don't need music discovery, okay? Because when I do turn on the radio and I hear something new, I almost always say, wow, this really sucks. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> well, I think also for a lot of us who are at this point, uh, if we haven't... Uh... You know, some of us are still keeping in that rock vein, but some of us have also started branching out to things like jazz and classical music. So, you know, and for that stuff, that's what a library is for now. Yeah, I will say I went through like 80s pop rock, um, hip hop, classic hip hop from the 70s through, you know, 90 something. Uh, I've went through Zeppelin, Beatles classic rock i've went through like hank williams senior type folk music because back then it wasn't called country um i went through a lot of different genres and when i hit jazz i literally stopped and said to myself self i don't think i'm doing quite enough drugs to really enjoy this media of music so i like paused my music exploration there yeah no i had i was fortunate enough to have a couple of uh uh, roommates walk me through the best and the worst of it. And it also helps too, when you have uh, stories about some of these people and maybe at another time we'll, we'll get down and talk about some of these uh, uh, artists, but uh, yeah, that's where I went with it. Yeah. And I did see a, a picture in my Google photos from like three years ago. Okay. If you remember predator, 
there's the point of the movie where the two main characters, Carl Winslow, I don't know his name, I want to say Carl Winslow, and Arnold Schwarzenegger see each other and they cuss at each other. Hey, you, uh, good to see you. And then they like handshake each other, but they're huge, muscular, bulbous arms. Okay. Well, that's now a meme generating thing. And at top, it says uh, free stuff. And on one arm, it says Lennox. And on the other arm, it says jazz. Um, so I think that it is the kind of thing that I should learn to enjoy. I do have a good friend, a really good friend, who literally goes to New Orleans at least every two or three years just to witness jazz events. And he's the guy who I think could hold my hand through that process. Nice. You know, I'll, I'll leave one story. There, there's a, a piano player. And his name is uh, Jelly Roll Morton. And, um, well, for the adults in the group, uh, Jelly Roll, of course, has a, is a euphemism. And we won't go into detail about that euphemism, but uh, I took a history of jazz class, and I'd asked the professor, you know, isn't that a really racy name to have, especially at the turn of the century? Uh, because this was uh, during his heyday, during the 1910, uh, 1920s. And uh, anyway, apparently, what I didn't realize is that if you played piano and you were a male, you were considered gay. And he wasn't having any of that, so he wanted to make sure that it was over the top and that he enjoyed his women, hence the Jelly Roll Morton. So I did not know go. that. That's fascinating. So, yeah, it's uh, if you ever get a chance, any history of jazz class starts here in America, and it is absolutely entertaining. Uh, and if it isn't, then find another teacher because it's some of the most interesting aspects of music you'll ever hear. Well, it, almost a similar story. I would say like a cousin of that story. I watched a documentary about the Smothers brothers and how the first year of their television show, they were saying incredibly racy things, but because the um, ratings board were so old white men, they had no idea what they were hearing. So they just said, Oh yeah, that's fine. One of the, um, one of the uh, skits on it was um, how to get rid of all the roaches in your house. And the person was like, well, you can just send them to me. And the stupid um, board said, well, yeah, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Not knowing. And it literally took them like over a year of doing these kinds of racy topics until they finally figured out what a minute you can't say that on TV. And it's like too late. We've already done over a season of this stuff. Um, it's funny how, um, Time changes perception, and perception is reality. Oh, you know, I'm going to have to find it because there was also something that cost them a couple of years of, of their television, and they wanted to prove a point in regards to one of their guests. I wish I could recall it because they were willing to stand by their convictions, even if it meant getting tossed off the air, which they were. They were tossed off for a year at the height of their career. And what made it even more surprising is that they were the number one rated show in America. So, yeah, in the end, uh, they would prevail. But again, they lost a year and who knows what they could have done with those kind of skits. Yeah, it, uh, it was the guy who did the fake priest sketch. Uh, I can't remember his name. He's dead now is what I'll say. He's dead now for many years. But they considered it to be so unbelievably taboo and so like you know they literally the network threatened them saying you cannot have this guy back on period because what he's doing is um blasphemy 
and you cannot do blasphemy on national television. This was when questioning the government was not considered acceptable to where they were literally like questioning why are our Americans going overseas and dying in Vietnam? Um, and their show was not supposed to be a hit. Their show was supposed to be on for like three months and then they were going to be off the air because they were just a filler show. And from like the second or third episode, they were the number one show in the nation. Um, and yeah, they were, and look at them now. They seem unbelievably campy, but no, back then they were unbelievably controversial. Yep. And there's actually a, uh, 2002 documentary on that, uh, called smothered. Absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. worth watching. So yeah, that's what uh, I watched. Yep. One last note, and then we'll move on. Um, there was also a really good uh, movie about Motown. It was a documentary which starred Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson, and it was a uh, the section dedicated to Marvin Gaye, and it's phenomenal. I I mean I knew he was a, a, a an amazing musician, and I do have his CD What's Going On. But when they dive into the details of it, you just realize how brilliant and how groundbreaking that album was because Barry Gordy was in, was against it entirely. It was, it was too controversial. It, it, you know, it, it dealt with subject matter that Motown wasn't pushing out at the time. And Marvin Gaye said, listen, I've got a brother in Vietnam. I'm absolutely sticking with this. And of course, like anything else, Gordy says in hindsight, that was the absolute correct move, which was to release it. Yeah, I mean, you know, everything ebbs and flows. Everything comes and goes. Everything gets charged and then discharged kind of thing. Uh, Marvin Gaye is one of those guys who, when I do listen to him, and I have like peace and quiet around me and I listen to him. It literally is some of the most uplifting, great music I've ever listened to. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's move on to controversy for a moment. So a couple of weeks ago, I was really upset about this. The more it started to uh, bloom, let's say. So there was a, a feed in my newsreader about uh, Torvald's... Uh, you know, upsetting people at the Deb conference. And I thought, really? I, uh, this is the first I'm hearing of it. So, you know, I'm looking at it. And uh, uh, it was funny because uh, I brought it up to uh, Jesse Smith and say, Jesse, what do you know about this? And so he sent back and goes, I, was, I thought that was an old article. And sure enough, it was an article from 2014. And I'm trying to understand why would people start dredging this kind of garbage up that's literally six years old? Um, and I'm really upset that Slashdot did this because at this point, they're just, they're no better than the New York Post. But moving right along, um, then there was the uh, article that came on, came across for, it was the morality cabal of Debian users who tried to knife Torvalds, and that was in Fudzilla.com, and those, those will be in the notes as well, um, talking about, again, it's amazing what you can do when you take things completely out of context. Well, and that's what, honestly, I had an, a, another couple people get really upset at me for things that I've said in a couple weeks ago, but I'll just put it like this. You, me, everybody, we cannot say how we thought, felt, and believed six years ago is how we thought, feel, believe now. Okay. The only constant is change. What we considered acceptable is now not. The example I use is the word fag. When I was a kid, 12 years old, it was common to say, 
utterly common sense. Does that make me a homophobe? No, it made me common man back then. Do I use that phrase today? No. Why? Because stuff changed. Okay. They are dragging this stuff up in 2020 to try to basically do reverse smearing campaigns, which in 2020 is very successful for a lot of people, for a lot of things. It's because people are too stupid to realize back then we thought and felt and believed differently. Okay. Um, I, t- t- I tell you now, if Torvalds has anything bad happen to him because of this, I will personally devote a percentage of my income to him for the rest of his natural life. Because what I did back in 2014, I'm sure I'm almost ashamed of today. Should it be Brack? Should it be brought up and smeared back in my face? No. You know why? Because everybody who does that, you have the exact same crap in your past. You ain't innocent. Nobody's innocent. So for people to bring this back up, to me, they are the bottom rung of society who need to be publicly flailed over and over again because this is absolutely disgusting. Well, there's also the implication that you haven't learned your lesson, you know, which is absolutely ridiculous because as you get older, I'm hoping that most of us stay mentally challenged, whether it's, you know, reading something, you know, I mean, this is the information age. And if you're on the Internet, you know, you know what the sort of reliable sources are versus what aren't, you know, and depending on, you know, your political point of view, which, you know, again, can be challenging in these times, you you vet your sources as you see fit, you know. Um, although it is becoming more and more of a challenge because some of the places that you're trying to look for accurate information may not be as accurate as they used to be. And I blame a lot of the higher education for that mass confusion because, you know, if you've got 40% of, um, of college kids here in America thinking that Judge Judy is a Supreme Court judge, we got a long, long way to go. Uh, Okay. 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 Um. Ruth Gator um, Bader Ginsburg, no matter what you think, you have to respect the woman, okay? But two news publications in the last 24 hours mentioned that she grew up in the same neighborhood as this famous person, that famous person, and then they mentioned Judge Judy. Okay, no, 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 no. A TV personality should never be mentioned at the same level as a Supreme Court justice, whether you like that person or not. The first thing that should be said about them is they are a Supreme Court justice, not a TV personality. It made me sick to my stomach when I heard that. Oh, my God. Two news outlets did that. Okay. Now, I also put it like this. Um, we have survivor bias. We have imposter syndrome. We have a lot of things going on in our head. Okay. What we need to worry about is right now. We should not care what somebody did in the past because of one thing that is true. We can never tell from a third person stance intent or inference. Okay. The example I use is every good manager or every good coach knows you have to poke and prod and drive each individual in a different way to get the most out of them. The perfect example is Tom Landry. Do I like him? No, not at all. Was he a fantastic coach? Uh, Maybe among the best ever because he knew how to get the best out of everybody. We don't know if Linus Torvalds is 
the greatest community manager that ever existed that knew how to poke and prod each individual segment and group, and sometimes to a third-person onlooker, it would appear insulting or just maddeningly like mean, when to the people he was talking to, they might expect that's how they get their drive and determination up. So for you to look at a third person and to say what he's doing is wrong is unbelievably pompous of you. You truly fall in the camp of weird Western education, independent, rich, democratic people who cannot understand the rest of the world because you're in your own filter bubble where you believe not only do you know everything, but you know everything that is true, that is right, that is honorable, and that is honest. And you don't. Nobody does. I'm not going to add to that because uh, right that's enough that needs to be said. You are correct, and we should move on. Well, and the only constant is change. This is one thing I want everyone to truly just sit down and understand. What I said yesterday, I might not agree with today because I am constantly evolving. Okay. Do I think Linus is a jerk? Very well, possibly. Do I think he's important to software development? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Do I think he's literally important to the future of free and open source software? Very possibly. Do I think he's a perfect person? Nope. Do I expect a perfect person? Nope. My kids, I drive into their skulls. There is no such thing as perfect. There is no such thing as fair. And good kids get good stuff. Those are the three things I literally drill into my kids with literally never-ending like antagonism. Just drive it into them. Because if they expect fairness in life, they are going to live a completely miserable life. And if you expect your code leader to be sweethearts and buttercups and a super nice guy, you are going to be miserable for the rest of your life. Well, you only need to look at some of the other OSs, too. You bring up Steve Ballmer. Do you think he was he was a fun guy to work with all the time? And Steve Jobs, he was a dick. That's a very nice way of putting it. He was the biggest jerk in computing history. There's no doubt. The things he did, the things he said, the way he treated his people. You want to think Linus is mean? No, 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 no. Steve Jobs was easily 10 times more mean. And he had the power to fire you and ruin your career. I don't know a single career I've ever heard of that Linus ruined. No, in fact, if anything, you know, it'd be great to see down the road what people like John Corbin, uh, one of the kernel developers, or, you know, uh, Matthew Garrett, or, you know, Ted Cho, those people. I'd be very interested in their take down the road because, you know, if uh, they don't have to worry about repercussions, it would be nice to hear, you know, is it is it inside dirt? Oh, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, there's there's got to be a reason that keeps them there, too, because let's face it, I know that after a certain amount of time, that would wear thin on me. So it can't be all that long because these gentlemen have been on, on board for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, I truly believe that everybody involved with the Linux operating system or any given distribution for any length of time understands there's no such thing as perfection. Everybody has warts. Okay. The only question is, is are you as an individual mature enough to put up with the warts? Okay. I married my wife knowing she's not perfect, but I knew she was smarter than me. 
uh, I trust her and I value her judgment on a lot of things. But when she starts talking about, you know, like politics, do I think, you know, my wife is smarter than me, so she must be right. I think, no, she has her own biases and let's just work through this. And I just turn to her and say, hey, hon, how about them cowboys? And then she understands. Let's change the topic. Oh, that's nice. Actually, that's a great way of doing it. <laughs> and it keeps peace in the family. Well, and I tell her, you know, it's good to be mad at me and it's good to let your emotions out. The worst thing you can do is let it all just be internalized because then like an Irishman, you'll die at a young age. <laughs> now, I think this segues nicely into community because uh, there was an article uh, regarding Canonical's Mark Shuttleworth. Uh, community's coming back to Ubuntu. How about that? I mean, okay. Uh, this is an article where I will not lie, Bruce, I have incredibly mixed feelings about because I'm not an Ubuntu fanboy. I'm a fanboy of nothing. I use Ubuntu like a tool, like a screwdriver or a wrench where I find it be apropos. I firmly believe Debian-based distributions are more desktop entertainment-focused operating systems. Fedora, Red Hat are more hardware big server enterprise focused distributions. Am I right? No, that's what I think. So that's what I believe. If for Ubuntu, a Debian based distribution to not extend and embrace the community is one of the most unbelievably neurotic things I could not understand for the longest time. So for them to finally go back on that statement and embrace the community, I'm just like, what took you so long? You know, I'm sitting here like, looking for a mate and for years you just completely disowned me and they have not seen tremendous success since then is the real key yes they've seen some server numbers bump but there's no doubt their desktop numbers percentage wise versus the linux norm has not went up no but interestingly enough in the article it does talk about the fact that shuttleworth claims that his money is no longer needed to aid the project so the donations or the paid services must be significant at this point i mean god knows that uh, my first run with ubuntu was back in 2005. so with that being said um yeah they've had a they've had a good run although it is interesting when you go to DistroWatch. Uh, and you see that they're not, I don't think they're even top five anymore. No. Um, and oh man, this is the way I'll put it. Um, it's always more expensive. And the perfect example is using an engine. It's always more expensive to accelerate than it is to maintain. Okay. I do believe that they're now in a place where it should cost them less money to maintain. Um, they've proven themselves to be stable. They've proven themselves to be. Uh, you know, kind of like a leader in some feature sets. They've proven themselves to be um, um, consistent over the years. Because like you said, the, my first uh, experience was, I want to say, 606, uh, two, 2006, Dapper Drake. Um, and since then, they've been unbelievably stable. They've had a long-term release here or there where you wanted to wait a week before you installed. But for the most part, it ran unbelievably solid and stable. So what I, here's what I really hope. I hope not only do they listen to the community, but like other distributions, they literally let the community sit in the driver's seat and literally make help make in really important decisions about the future. Cause like you said, they're not paying the community. 
So the best thing they can do is pat the community on the back and thank them for their support and show them their value in the system, in the ecosystem. Um, I do believe that, you know, the only constant is change. Amazon is making tons of cloud money right now. Microsoft, the Jedi contract, going to make tons of money in the cloud ecosystem. There is room. There is room for a third and fourth and maybe even fifth ecosystem. I know Red Hat is doing phenomenal on cloud stacks is the way that they put it kind of thing. I do believe there is room for Canonical to be successful, but if they don't support the fans, those rabid fans, I think they're going to have a really hard time. So I think they're finally doing the right thing. Um, I'm never a fan of Mark Shuttleworth as an individual. Um, I thought he was literally like the creepy guy next door who, whenever he said hi, you wanted to just walk away from him as quick as you could. <laughs> well, you know, he even admits in the article that, uh, you know, he had essentially left that up to his boy, John O'Bacon, for the longest time. And then, you know, like anything else, after he had left, that was pretty much the end of it. Uh, I guess the developer is going to step up and take over the role, which is good. Uh, I do want to make a quick side note, though. Looking at the DistroWatch top 10 distributions... Uh, actually, let's go to top five. Number one this week is MX Linux. Number two is Manjaro. Number three is Mint. Number four is Ubuntu. And number five is Debian. Four Damn. out of the five distros there are all tied to the one that's at number five. Yeah, and the thing is, um, I truly believe there will be a, in air quotes, day of reckoning where Debian finally decides we're tired of everyone getting popular off of us and we're going to start now to literally dictate back to you people um, to which everyone then is going to have to play catch up. But I will put it like, like this. I am not an arch fan whatsoever, but Manjaro is dang smooth. I am really, really impressed at how well that distribution works. Nope. I'll second that because I had it on my machine for about six months while I was figuring out what to do. And, um, yeah, I'm not really sure why I didn't stick with it in the end, but, uh, eh, you know, maybe I'll give it another shot down the road because um, I've had it on this laptop now for, geez, well, Debian's been on this one for now uh, three years, and MX Linux on my production machine is, uh, I think, on its uh, second year now. So, yeah, well, it's when it's time for a change, we'll switch out and see which one wins. Yeah, absolutely. I want to say I've been running Manjaro almost a solid six months on my Pinebook Pro ARM-based laptop um, when I'm doing play around stuff. When I'm not doing play around stuff, I boot to my SD card, which is then running a Debian distribution because um, then it supports my external USB-C connector to HDMI. One supports the HDMI, the other one supports the Ethernet. So it's like, you know, there's no perfection. Again, I have to pick my battles kind of thing, kind of like marriage, kind of the, the same reason why Richard Stallman would never be married. <laughs> Come on. There's got to be somebody out there who who's in love with a troll who picks his toes. But anyway, um, one side note, speaking of picking your toes, Microsoft Ignite Conference is next week and it's free. 
In fact, this might be the greatest opportunity for techies in general because um, ever since the coronavirus has uh, embraced the world in a in a sleeper hold, uh, just about every event out there, every large event is now free. Uh, uh, what is it? Um, uh, the virtual, uh, the VMware folks, their conference is free this year for the first time ever. Um, and this might be a good time to start looking at, uh, you know, Red Hat conferences. And I know the last two have been free. There's the International Hardware Conference, which is free. So, uh, folks, this is the opportune time to pick up uh, your skill set with no cost whatsoever except your time. Yeah, and I mean, between you and me, Bruce, I'll put it like this. There's more than a couple people that I literally love. I literally love who will not stop doom and glooming how we're all going to die. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to them kind of thing. And I try to explain to them, if you just sit down and take a look, when one door closes, it's reality. Another door opens. Okay. If you do not take advantage of now what is open to you, it is your own fault. If you're going to sit there and say, everybody hates me, nobody likes me, might as well eat a can of worms. Well, then, yes, you're going to be miserable. The amount of free education out there every single year has been just increasing exponentially. And now, because of the COVID, you have insane amount of places spewing information spewing education begging you please look at me please 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 if you as an individual are getting paid low money and you do not see a pay increase in the next 12 months i am very sorry to say it like this it is your own damn fault there is literally hundreds of hours of edx Coursera and other kinds of college level education out there, but they're just literally throwing it at your face. And instead you're avoiding it and you're too busy staring at TikTok or Netflix or something else, just spewing pointless information. Um, I have no problem in saying it like this. Every year of my life, I've been learning more information. Here's the perfect example I'll use. In college, when you exit college, the speech is called a commencement speech if you know the origin of the word it's not the end it's the beginning school and institutions are supposed to teach you how to learn not what to learn again they're supposed to teach you how to learn so for the rest of your life you can go on learning more information and if you do not take this time when it's politically incorrect to go outside a lot and you're supposed to be in your house a lot because of everything going on. If you don't take that opportunity to educate yourself a little bit more, you have to blame yourself, not a virus, not a politician, not anything else in the world. Okay. If you want to blame a politician for other things, I understand, but don't blame them for your own shortcomings. Well, and on that note, on, uh, what's interesting is that in, eight hours eight short hours and 50 bucks you can get a certificate at coursera and it can be just about on anything any avenue of uh it you want to travel down uh certainly worth the price i believe the same price uh, applies for edx and um yeah i mean with everything out there uh, if you don't get smarter this year that really is on you well it to me you know I, when I was young, 
stuttered horrendously. I had horrible speech disfluency and people would literally like look down upon me. Like it must be so hard. And I tried to explain to the people I loved. No, actually it enables me to quicker decide who's a jerk. Who do I not want to talk to for the rest of my life? There's advantages to everything. Even if you can't say three words without going, there's an advantage to it. Okay. Um, I personally believe this year I've literally learned more than I've learned in the rest of my life because I've been afforded the opportunity to put myself deep into topics, whether it be cognitive biases, whether it be the science of happiness, whether it be uh, listening to the top epidemiologist uh, talking about normal coronaviruses and the, the things you have to worry about, the things you have to be concerned about, the things you don't have to worry about, the things you don't have to be concerned about. Um, and it's only because I decided I'm not going to listen to headlines. I'm not going to listen to friends who have the best of intent. They have the best of intent. They have the best of intent, but I'm not going to listen to friends. I'm not only going to listen to experts. I'm going to listen to everybody and just derive my own thing. And if you need more money, I'm going to tell you right now. There's plenty of free Linux classes out there. There's plenty of free security classes out there. If you want to know how to make quick money, just learn Python. If you want to learn how to make good money for the next five to 10 years, learn Linux. If you want a guaranteed retire early, go into security. And trust me, hear me now, believe me later. Um, you have the ability, anybody out there, to do anything you want to do in 2020. And if there's little things stopping you, like you can't afford X, Y, or Z, and you just need something to get over the hump, just send me an email, door-to-door-geek at gmail.com. I'll give you hardware. I'll give you software. I'll give you services. I'll give you money. Um, I don't know any other podcast out there that says that because my whole goal is not to make myself better, not to get 200,000 downloads. My goal is to contribute to a community where we all get better. A rising tide does indeed raise all ships. Well, and that basically says that at this point, you're willing to be an agent of change, as they say. Yeah, exactly. Um, I will say there's going to be at least 20 or 30 links total in the notes, because again, everything that I witnessed from the last episode was August 30th uh, will be out there. So if you guys want to peruse and take a look at them, uh, I think there's some really cool stuff in here. There's all kinds of things in there because Linux is the most dynamic, ever-changing operating system I think that's ever existed. But there's one link I got to bring in here, Bruce, and because it, it blew my mind, and I did not give it to you before. So while I'm talking, I'm going to give it to you in that interface. I'm going to come over here, give it to you in this interface. I'm going to go over there, put it in the YouTube chat. And if you want to join us in the YouTube chat, we'll follow us on YouTube and it'll be much easier. This blew my mind. And when I say blew my mind, Bruce, this is the kind of thing that is not supposed to happen. Okay. It's literally like I entered a new universe. The long and the short of it is MS office online server document editor is available in Nextcloud. Okay. With today's release of the office online integration app, Enterprises can use self-hosted Microsoft online server to view edit documents from within Nextcloud. This enables companies to operate an office environment on a private secure server 
with a familiar user interface. This blew my mind, Bruce. You can now literally host your own instance of cloud-based Microsoft Office and literally cut off every communication back to every Microsoft server and the damn thing will still work. If this is not a true like buoy in the water, a flag post like changing of ideals in Microsoft, I don't know what is. No, we've been talking about them more and more over the last several shows. Um, I think particularly because they seem to have gained something that I feel that Linux communities have lost. And that's one of collaboration and figuring out how to get these collaborative tools out there where everybody's using them. And, you know, for better or for worse, they do have an army of designers who can make it look as good as they possibly can. Um, even if some of their admin tools are from, uh, what is it, Windows 98. <laughs> but yeah. I digress. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, um, this is what I'm gathering. This is what I'm hearing through the grapevine, okay? I've been in communications with now 15, maybe, people who work up in the main office of Microsoft. Um, and, what the, and what I gather is it's truly evolutionary in the sense of executives are not driving decisions. It's literally one of those few and rare enterprise environments where the lowest man on the totem pole actually has a lot of influence and there's a lot of lower grade employees there who were brought up with a passion for free Libra open source software. And they think, honestly, they think like they have the ability to infect Microsoft like a virus and literally change their DNA at the base. And it's very shocking to me that it seems like they're actually being successful. They're literally slowly manipulating the actual RNA to DNA convergence and the replication, and they're literally changing the place from within. It's literally like revolutionary is the way I'll put it. I still am not going to give Microsoft a penny because it's going to take for me at least a decade, at least 10 years of them showing unbelievably selflessness in supporting of things other than themselves for me to even consider giving them a penny. But this is the kind of step they can take where I can tell you right now, I am tempted to put this damn thing on my next cloud instance, but I know it won't work because it's ARM based, but I digress. It's unbelievably cool to see other companies being forced by their own internal people to become more floss friendly. You've got me. I'm speechless on that. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know who could have seen this coming. Um, the like four or five people I directly purposely like pointed this at them and said, look at this. They all said the same thing. Who in the hell saw this coming? Not me. No. And again, for better, or for worse, it just seems like uh, some aspects of uh, Microsoft. I know that there was a lot of a um, lot of questions when they were hiring their uh their new CEO to uh, take over the show, and I'm spacing on his name right now. Uh, is it Nardella? Um, Sadia. Yes, yes. Something. So anyway, um, but it seems like he can't make a bad move with Microsoft now. I mean, whether it's uh, embracing the Linux community, which, again, on the surface, it seems like that they're making all the right steps. They're donating to the Linux Foundation, 
which I don't think much of. Uh, and uh, they're they're being they're playing nice. Let's put this this way. Uh, they're relaxing some of the uh, things that used to be flashpoints for the Linux community, uh, particularly uh, the MP3 technology. Boy, that was such much noise about nothing. Um, but, you know, again, it's uh, those are things that are in the past. So I don't know. Maybe it uh, it is really worth looking towards the future with a lot of hope and see where it takes you. Yeah, and like... The two examples I'll now use, because now I have more than one example, is um, like back in the day, Flash was everywhere. Java was everywhere. I mean, you couldn't get away from it. Uh, now in 2020, VS Code is everywhere. Um, VS Cosorium is the one I use. It has all the binary blobs stripped out of it. It is unbelievably polished. Um, every developer I've spoken to, doesn't matter if they're doing Java development, web development, um, UX development, um, um, PHP development, whether they're doing Windows PowerShell development, everybody on the face of the planet seems to be using VS Code, and it's completely free. It's not completely open source, but it has binary blobs in it, blah, 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 but it is unbelievably powerful and easy to use. And now with this Office thing is another example I'm going to use to how this company it's literally like they're evolving is the way that I'll put it. Um, I don't know what they're going to evolve into, but they're definitely not like big blue old IBM who became stagnant and couldn't change. And that's why they went downhill for so long. Uh, this company seems to be doing a very good job. And yes, the current boss of Microsoft is an immigrant. I'm a firm believer. First generation immigrants to the United States of America are some of the most important people we've ever had in this country, some of the most influential people we've ever had in this country, and some of the people who make some of the most dramatic changes for good in the history of this country. Um, I'm not a personal fan of his, but I'm becoming a fan of some of his work. I will openly admit. Well, and I want to add hardest working too. Um, in fact, a lot of first generation uh, folks I work with who are new to this country, they've been some of my best workers, hands down. Great work ethic because, uh, you know, they're in a better place uh, from where they came from. And this gives them an opportunity to really shine. I mean, when you look at their work, it is so evident that they are good at what they do. Yeah, some e um, e um, e economists say since they are the closest to real object poverty they fear it the most so they have the most drive and determination to not go back to it i've also heard people say the kind of same thing about some athletes to where if you get the athletes who are coming out of the third world whether it be brazilian jew um jew jitsu boxing or baseball when they came from a town where there was literal dying on the streets from starvation, they somehow tend to be the best athletes. Well, it's probably because they try the hardest. They don't want to be like the other people. Where me, I'm literally like the fourth generation in this country. I'm supposed to be some of the laziest things that's ever existed. Well, well the good news for me is uh, I was going through my mother's stuff today, and uh, wouldn't you know it, I found my birth certificate. So the only thing I can say is that I can't be president of the United States. 
Very cool. So I'm going to ask you to take a look at that birth certificate very closely, Bruce, because I do believe it was a federal law uh, enacted in, I want to say, the 60s. Um, and I've had multiple discussions about this only because in my nine to five job, we've now doing birth certificate stuff. But I tried to explain to the people 99% of the birth certificates you see are not birth certificates. They actually say birth registration beneath them. A birth certificate by law, I believe, can only be issued within the first 48 hours of the birth. After that, what you get is a birth registration. It does say birth certificate on it, but it also says birth registration. Registration, which is an after-the-fact kind of document. I think I'm a little bit of an exception here because I was born outside of this country, so I've got my birth certificate here. Very cool. And on top of that, it actually has it in giant letters. That is huge. Just to make sure that I don't go stealing any cars or anything like that, they've got my footprints. Nice. So there you go. <laughs> the best I can be is vice president. Um that there's a really low bar for that. I'm just going to say that Bruce. Um, I will say my, um, driver's license is now five months expired in air quotes, but because we're still under a state of emergency, it's not expired. And my wife keeps asking me to make an appointment to go in and get my license. And I keep saying, no, no, I'm not. Cause I'm not expired and I don't want to be in any building. I don't have to be in. Now, do you guys have online registration for that? <sighs> Long and short of it is yes, but no. Because we like money, so we are one of the first states to try to be 100% real ID compliant, which is when you have the ID that supposedly can also act as a light level passport. And my license was before we were real ID compliant, so I have to go in, I have to supply a birth certificate and blah, 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 in order to get that special ID card, which I will say, the thing I did learn about the ID card is, for me to have a device in my house to produce a like item, like truly authentic like item, easily will cost me over $7 million. Well, I do know, like you said, the next time I'm called in, uh, after this one expires in 2025, I actually have to go in with this birth certificate. So there we go. Yeah, and I mean, and there was an old thing, and we're getting off tangent, but I don't care. There was an old thing, like back in the day, People didn't want to pay taxes because it meant the government could more carefully track you. That was really one of the biggest reasons why we didn't want to pay taxes back in the day. Then we didn't want a social security card because it was like we were stamped. Like the old adage of you're getting stamped on the arm by an official government number to make you now trackable and traceable and followable. That was when we as a community cared about privacy. It does seem like those days are literally in the past for the amount of people that just give up all privacy in the names of convenience or in the names of just browsing memes or people dancing or listening to that stupid uncle swearing the earth is flat. Um, so I do feel like I'm kind of Abby normal as Marty Freeman might say, um, where I actually try to thrive on my privacy. The example I use is I never have one browser installed. I at least have three browsers installed. One browser does my banking and financial history. Okay. Another browser does my emails and does my services that I trust. A third browser is for browsing junk garbage websites. 
And then a fourth browser is when I have to go do something one-off on a website that I don't know if I completely trust, but they have something I'd like, whether it be uh, an old episode of All in the Family or just I need to go buy this for my son so he will shut up kind of thing. Uh, and I use them like one-off browsers where every time I load the browser, everything gets deleted. All my cash, all my cookies, all my history, all my everything literally gets gone. Um, because I actually kind of moderately care about privacy. Well, and throughout all of it, I have to tell you that Firefox is one of my longest running browsers that I still use to this day. And Firefox is unfortunately killing off Firefox Send. And uh, I want to say another service. I can't remember what it's called. Um, because literally, COVID, they had to fire a bunch of developers. Um, they did just publish a thing that they classified as a misinformation detector. Let's just put it like this. That was an extremely broad overstatement of what it actually is. Um, if people aren't aware of, we have a thing called Google Trends, where in Google Trends, you have the ability to see what people search for, when they search for, why they search for, how they search for, for any one like topic or um, um, a key, key like word thing. Well, Mozilla put out a similar thing literally that they call uh, SMRT, I believe it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Social Media Analysis Toolkit, S-M-A-T, okay? They try to say it's a tool for tracking disinformation. It's not, okay? It's a tool. You have to provide what you proclaim as misinformation, okay? And then when you do, you can basically see a, histor a historical graph of how much something appeared on Reddit or hashtags or link counters or activities on certain key phrases on Twitter, Reddit, 4chan, and uh, what's this called? 8KUN. I don't know what that is. Um, but so if you're interested in what people are searching for, what people are saying on these platforms, then this SMAT might be a good platform for you. The obvious Thing that's not included in this is Facebook because it's like an if and or gate. Okay. Twitter by default is wide open. Okay. You have to literally ignore stuff to not see it in the public feed. Facebook is the opposite. By default, it's private. And then you have to only invite who you want or friend who you want to see their information. So for this tool to see in air quotes, everything on Facebook, they would literally have to friend every single user on Facebook. So Facebook is not in this search. Now, for what it's worth, the uh, S-M-A-T is the Boston pronunciation of smart. Exactly. So, yeah. Um, and to me, this is another example of transparency. Um, I give Mozilla five bucks a month now for their VPN service, not because I need it, because I want to give things that I value money. We need competition. We need somebody else developing code out there besides Google besides Microsoft, besides Amazon, we need somebody else. Amazon makes money from everybody. Every time we make a purchase, Microsoft makes money from every enterprise because everybody needs office. And, um, you know, so we need to do our place and Google makes money off of just our tracking all of our habits through the Google Chrome browser. Let's just say tons of money. So we need to do what we can to support other people as well. 
I beg people not to support me. I don't beg people to support the people who sponsor us because we're not an ad driven network. What I beg people to do is to support people like Mozilla. If it wasn't for them, the rate of innovation, I have no problem in saying would be one tenth of what we've had in the last 20 years because they continued to push and drive innovation just as much as everybody else because they had no choice but to keep up. Now, one of the things that you might want to do too, next time you're in your Google browser uh, and you've already signed in, go to the grid and click on that and then click on more and then just see all of the services that they provide or that are available for use. It's astounding, the back catalog of stuff. That's how I ran into Coursera, actually. Yeah, it. I don't want to say it never ends, but there's a hell of a lot there. Um, and honestly, a lot of companies offer more than any of us use. The old um, story is uh, 95% of all the features that people asked to be involved in Office, from Office 95, 95% of all... All the things people asked to be in, um, um, added were already there. People just didn't know how to find it. Same thing with anything, any of these services. If you dig enough, you'll find they offer a hundred times more than you ever thought. Nope, absolutely. Uh, so again, just to underscore, you owe it to yourself to explore those things because it's free. I like free. Maybe we should hang out sometime. Although one thing I do want to point out too, since we're on the topic of Google, next time you're also logged in, make sure it's uh, google.com slash takeout. And if you want to be horrified at the information uh, that you've had over your life of your account, takeout will show you everywhere you've been, literally, from the places you've shopped to the videos you've watched to the things you've searched for. So uh, if you like that historical aspect, Check it out. Yeah, so if you're suffering from Alzheimer's, it'll be a great way to remember what you did. Or that actress you've been trying to stalk. No comment. All right, Bruce, uh, I think we did a good episode here. Uh, I want to first and foremost publicly thank you for your uh, uh, s- support in, um, in, a, in um, DistroWatch. I still think it's one of the best valued websites uh, and resources for general Linux information on the Internet. Yeah, thank you. I think Jesse would really like to hear that. I should pass that along. Very cool. Uh, if people want to catch up with you, what's the uh, simplest, easiest way? DistroWatchBruce at gmail.com. Bada bing. Uh, if you want to email this show, it's easy. Podcast at LinuxForTheRestOfUs.com. If you want to email me personally, it's DoorToDoorGeek at gmail.com. If you want to email the network, it's mail at Podus.com. All the links are in the show notes. If you want to know where the show notes are, you simply go to Podus.com. Click on shows, Linux for the rest of us, and any episode, the links will be in there. Um, we try to publish when we go live on uh, Patreon. We try to publish live on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, we also try to let people on Discord know when we go live. And if those are places where you would like to participate with us, all you got to do is click again the links in the notes and all the links will be there. I want to thank everyone for downloading. Thank everyone for their support. Thank everyone for their patience. Thank everyone for their compassion because we all need it from time to time. And I will say, never, ever, ever forget, if you do not have root on anything, then you really do not know who does. Thanks, everyone. Take it easy. Bye.